Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy teaches through Titus chapter 2, where you will learn what sound biblical teaching is and what Christian living should look like. Enjoy the message. Well, we're going into the second week of We Are the Church, and today we're going to talk about sound teaching and Christian living, how they come together. Uh, sound teaching and Christian living. Now, the summer months, we are well into the summer. It got a little bit of a slow start here in Kenosha. Uh, but the summer months, as a kid, I look forward uh, to making some extra money, all right? Uh, I wanted to go to the Dairy Queen. I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't live off my $1 a week allowance. I realized my parents got a pretty good deal. Some of my, get, some of my friends were getting 3 to $5 a week. I was getting $1 a week. And so in order for me to even buy like a, a $10 toy, it literally took you two and a half months of labor, all right? So I need to figure out how can I make extra money? So in second grade, I decided I'm gonna make money like the grocery stores make money. I'm going to sell bedding plants. I'm gonna sell flowers. So I bought the seeds in the spring. I put them in the soil, put them in the pot. Some of them came up, a lot of them didn't. And I would go door to door. Wasn't making a lot of money because they didn't look really, I mean, I was in second grade, all right? So of course my bedding plants were gonna look good. Well, as we had this whole operation going, my buddy and I, his older brother came, to us, he came up to us and he said, hey, you want to make some really serious, fast cash? I'm like, yeah, please do tell. He's like, all right, did you notice what they've been doing in all the city streets? Yes, I had been noticing as a second grader. Uh, they were putting fresh tar in all the cracks of the roads uh, in our town. Well, anyway, uh, the older brother said, hey, look, that tar is really, really expensive. If you were to sell that tar, you would be rich. And I thought, all right, I've heard enough. Let's go for it. So me and my buddy, we went and we ripped up all that fresh tar from the roads in our entire neighborhood, all right? All that tar was gone. We cut it up. We put it into the jars, and we started going door to door with our gold, or so we thought. And you should have seen the faces of all the neighbors. We were like, all right, we have some bedding plant, but you want to know what you really want? You want a jar full of tar, all right? And they're just like, what? And we were just dumbfounded. Why wasn't anybody buying anything? In fact, one, old, one older man, my neighbor, he felt so bad for us, he, he gave us a couple quarters, right? And so I believed this older brother that we were going to get rich off of Road tar, and the, the, the city officials probably like, I thought we already did this road. You did. We took the tar, all right? We believed it was worth a lot of money, uh, and, but hey, our belief was tied uh, to something that wasn't true, all right? Uh, our belief was tied to uh, something uh, that wasn't true. And so because we believed in that something, we became something. In this case, we became a tar salesman. Well, I don't know how many of you are actually going to go do that. I don't recommend doing that. But here's the deal. Even though I was in second grade, even though a joke was played on us, there's a principle here that I think each and every one of us can understand. Is that what you believe, you become. What you believe influences what you will do. And that's the, that's the whole premise of, of our talk this morning and what we're going to see in, in the latter part of Titus chapter 1 and the beginning of Titus chapter 2 is what you believe is what you will become. In fact, as we're talking about, we are the church. We are looking through the book of Titus. Paul is writing to his apprentice, Titus, to set the right foundations in a church that he is starting. Last week we talked about those foundations or laying the right foundations was through uh, instituting elders, installing elders. Those are the leaders of the church. 
Uh, we have elders here at Kenosha City Church. We have five elders. I, I am one of the five elders. It's a plurality, which means we, we act together. It's, there's not a super elder or a, I'm a pastor elders. I can come in and do whatever I want. Uh, the elders then uh, task or they push leadership down to pastors. The pastors push leadership down to, to ministry leaders. And those ministry leaders push leadership down to volunteers. We believe that we should have shared leadership here at Kenosha City Church to reach this city together. And so Paul told Titus, we need to install elders to have the right foundations so that they can be guardians of, of, of the word and to teach the word, to teach it so it's caught. Paul was wanting to instruct Titus that there's an unbreakable link between what a person believes and how they should behave. Because what you believe is what you will become. What you truly believe is what you'll become. Now, Crete, which was the island that Paul, uh, that Paul and Titus were working with, uh, it was a twisted, sinful place. I talked about that last week. It was full of pirates, full of drinking. Uh, it was full of debauchery. And therefore, Paul wanted Titus to understand the church must be on guard uh, from attack, from attack of the way that you think, from attack against uh, right living, uh, and even the way that they were going to set up the church. And so, uh, this is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. And we're going to talk about if, 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 if we're going to be a church that is going to grow in health and in truth, you must understand, number one, the church must be on guard from attack. It's not if the church is going to be attacked. It is when the church will be attacked. Or more reality here, it's when is the church not being attacked. Titus 1, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Christians are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply. So they may be of sound in faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience is defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul knew that Titus, when he was going to set this church up in any church that was established, was going to face an attack. An attack not by flesh and blood, even though it might look like flesh and blood, but really what stood behind every attack was Satan and his dark spiritual forces, who, by the way, will stop at nothing to get a church and to get you and to get your family off course uh, from following Jesus Christ in every area of your life. His mission is to seek kill and destroy he wants to mess up your family he wants to enslave you to sin that will last not only your lifetime but influence generations some of some of you know what that is is you you realize that your parents had a certain sin and and your grandparents had a certain sin and now you're dealing with that certain sin and that's exactly what satan wants he wants generation after generation after generation to be enslaved by sins that you seem that you just can't shake and I want, you to tell, I want to tell you right now, it is a satanic lie uh, that you can't shake a sin. We serve an almighty God who gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you to break any sin. But I want you to know Satan is here to attack you, to attack the church, to get you off mission. 
So we must be prepared for attack. Years ago, I went to Paris. Uh, I've been there a couple times. We have a ministry partner there now. I went to Paris, and uh, I was told when you get to Paris, you're going to be so enamored by the Eiffel Tower and everything, but just know you're going to get hit by pit pockets immediately. In fact, I knew somebody once. Uh, they went to Paris. They gathered their whole team's passports. They put them in their little uh, bag that they had on their shoulder, and they went up to the Eiffel Tower, and as they were taking pictures of the Eiffel Tower, somebody stole all their passports, all right? So I realized, okay, I don't want to be that guy. So I was ready to be attacked by pit pockets, right? I was ready. So I bought this belt. I put it, you know, this belt that you put underneath your shirt, right? <laughs> and I, I put all my money and my passports there. I was ready for these pickpockets. And so I got off the train uh, in, in Paris. I started walking the streets and I realized my shoes were untied. So literally I got down uh, to tie my shoes and in those 20 seconds, all my zippers on my suitcase were undone. Luckily, I had nothing in there because I knew that I was going to get attacked by pickpockets. And so, well, you might not be attacked by a pickpocket here in Kenosha, but I want you to know the enemy and his deep, his deep spiritual forces are going to attack. And are you going to be ready when you face that attack? Titus' responsibility was to make sure the church was prepared for attack from false teachings, uh, from the culture that was, uh, that was influencing their minds and actions. Satan hates everything about Jesus. There's no truth in Satan that we should ever buy into. Oh, he gives half-truths. Oh, he gives things that look enticing, but it's always a lie and always leads uh, to hardship. And again, his aim is to get you off mission and to make your life all about yourself. Attacks are coming. Where are they coming from? Well, let's look at two areas. Number one, attacks are coming from the outside. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of their very own prophets said... Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Uh, Paul is quoting a native Cretan and Greek po uh, uh, poet, uh, Apathemius, okay, uh, who in ancient times was considered to be one of the seven great wise men of Greece. So he's, quote, uh, he's quoting a, Gre uh, a Greece poet who lived in Crete. And his uh, take on his hometown, uh, his home island, were that they were always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Lying it was a big deal in Crete. In fact, the Cretans, uh, they claimed that they were the burial ground of Zeus. Now, we would be like, okay, Zeus never existed. But uh, to the Greeks, they'd be like, well, hold up here. How are you the burial ground of Zeus? Like, isn't he immortal? Right? But they're like, nope, he's buried here, right? You can come see his grave. Like, you guys are liars, right? They were known to tell big, fat whoppers. And the thing is, is that the, the Cretans, they were known to tell the truth when convenient. They would twist the truth when they needed their narrative to be correct, or they would just say outright lies to get attention. This is the culture of which the church was finding itself in. And Paul knew that this mentality of telling lies uh, would seep into the church. By the way, let me just say this about lying. Lying is a big deal to God. It's so big, he made it one of his ten, right? It's, it's in the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness, right? It's a big deal to God. And yet, I would say this, that every human being, including ourselves, we have the propensity to twist the truth. We have the propensity uh, to lie. 
uh, to exaggerate, uh, to redefine or retell stories to suit a narrative. And I want you to know, God doesn't like that. And you go, oh, but we're Christians, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do do that, right? I'm gonna tell you, being in ministry 16 years, it's like, seriously, you're gonna say that? That's a lie, right? Like, we, again, you need to understand that is one of Satan's tactics uh, to discredit your witness. Make sure you're truthful. The creations were not truthful, and Paul knew that it was gonna seep into the church. Lying is a big deal to God. We also see that the uh, Christian uh, poet, Pathemius, he said that they were evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Well, an evil beast was a descriptor that the creations were behaving like wild animals. What did he mean by that? Whatever they were passionate about, whatever they had an appetite for, they did. Uh, it was very much a, a carnal, uh, I will do whatever I want to do. I will, I will fulfill whatever I feel. They were self-indulgent and hence also not wanting to work. They were lazy and they would be gluttonous. Things from culture were so ingrained to the people that Paul knew without right teaching, without calling the believers to, to live a countercultural life, the church would reflect the culture. Listen, I've said this in weeks prior. The church should not reflect the culture. The church should be counter to the culture. We need to know how to engage the culture. We need to know how to speak to the culture. But on all of that, we need to understand we don't lose ourselves to the culture. But things from culture become so ingrained in us that it becomes just normal or, oh, who cares? But we are not normal. As followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to know you are not normal. You are peculiar. You're odd. You're different. Why? You believe in Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, right? Other people don't believe that. They, they think this is all they got, right? They think the earth is heaven, all right? And so if you're like, oh, no, 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 wait, there's something after, uh, and we have to stand before Almighty God who, who made you, then you're like, well, that's odd. Well, listen, I want you to know what's odd is that to think that there isn't God, right? To look up into the sky and see the stars and say, this just spontaneously created, uh, the, the complexity of the, of the human body, that was just spontaneously created, that's odd, right? But for the world, it's odd that you think that somebody created that. You get what I'm saying? But you can't reconcile the two. And so things in culture can become so ingrained in you. So my question to you today, church, Kenosha City Church, how has culture been ingrained in you? That's a serious question. How has culture been ingrained in you? That might be a question you need to ask the Lord and, and have the Holy Spirit uh, really reveal to you. Uh, where have you been more cultural than, than biblical? Attack comes from the outside. Culture is always trying to shape the way that you think and how you act and how you see things. And so you just need to know there's outside pressure always on you, always on the church to conform to the narrative of the culture. But attack also comes from somewhere else. I want to spend more time on this. Attacks come from the inside. Titus 1.10 for there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Notice verse 10. 
Paul is not speaking just of the threat on the outside. He's speaking on the threat that comes in from the inside. There will be rebellious people that will enter through the doors and the church in Crete. Paul knew this. He's warning them. There will be people in here that are going to try to disrupt biblical thinking. There are going to be people that are going to be in here to try to disrupt you from being on the main thing that is the gospel. And yes, church, I will tell you, Kenosha City Church, there will be people from time to time that try to come in through these doors. And listen, anybody's welcome in these doors, but I tell you, we will not be platformed. Rebellious, divisive, get your, your, your attention off the gospel type people. Uh, they will know that this place is not for them, and if they try to platform themselves, they will not be platformed, ever. These rebellious people enter the doors of the church with the intent to disrupt, distract, and divide, often in the name of Jesus, but not the real Jesus. Notice what Paul calls these people, rebellious. Notice verse 10 again. It's not just a few of them, it's many. There'll be many rebellious people. Paul is urgently warning Titus that the church uh, that, that, that the church must not platform these people. Because if the church in Crete was a platform, these rebellious people, their church would be ripped limb from limb by false teaching and false living. And this is why Paul said that it's urgent that they install elders. He said the first thing you do is install elders so the people of God would not be defenseless to bad doctrine and errant living. Paul also warned Timothy about the dangers of the false teachers, what they were going to bring to the table. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, the Spirit, the Spirit explicitly says, this is in Timothy, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. In the latter times, Paul tells Timothy, not, not Titus, Timothy was written prior, 1 Timothy, um, He's telling Timothy, his other apprentice, in the latter times, there will be people who will depart from the faith. Church, I want to let you know something. I don't know when Jesus Christ will come back, but we are indeed closer, if not in, those latter times. There will be, there will be people who will depart from the faith who will deconstruct from biblical Christianity. What I mean by biblical Christianity is that we take our cue, or we take our, 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 the will of God from the Bible. If anybody says anything or does anything that's in contradiction to the Bible, it's not biblical. It's carnal. And so, in the latter times, there'll be people who depart from the faith. They'll deconstruct from biblical Christianity, and they'll reconstruct their faith to a Jesus not of the Bible or no Jesus at all. Both results in placing their faith more in their humanity than God. And my heart has been absolutely broken for the amount of people that I have personally seen in the last decade who no longer claim Jesus Christ as Lord or it's a Jesus of more of cultural progressive making. Or... It's some kind of Jesus that is not uh, of heavenly uh, kingdom. It's a Jesus that is more prosperity now. So many people have been shipwrecked in these last 10 years. I can't believe it. People from my colleges, people that I sat in seminary classes with. 
students from churches in different states that I've been at that were all-star students that are now living lives diametrically opposed to the Lord. People even from this very church in Kenosha that I see that today are living lives completely diametrically opposed from biblical Christianity. It breaks my heart. But we are not to be surprised. We are not to be surprised uh, that people will drift off uh, in the latter days. And my charge to you, church, is this. My charge to you, if you're watching online, is this. In 10 years, I want to see you thriving and following Jesus, no matter the cost. Amen? It's easier said than done, though. You must be tied to the word. You must be led by the Holy Spirit and never, ever, ever take your eyes off the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The false teachers Paul was addressing, they were specifically called the circumcision party. These people will also be called Judaizers if you're reading in the New Testament uh, elsewhere. These people were uh, devoted and advocated a Jewish legalism of rabbinic traditions. So they're saying, hey, you know, I know that you believe in Jesus. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. Oh, we do too. But you know what? You forgot about some of the stuff in Leviticus, right? Like, you know, some of, like, we only eat vegetables. And, oh, and, and you know, the, the, the new moons and the booths and the, you know, the, the different Jewish holidays. We have a new one called Hanukkah, you know. Came, you know, came back during the Maccabee times. You know, you, you didn't get the memo, right? Well, you need to do all those things if you're going to be a super Christian like us. Paul is rolling his eyes, he's annoyed, and he's not just annoyed, he knows it's dangerous. Because when you add anything to the gospel, the gospel is a simple equation. Faith plus grace plus nothing else equals the salvation of Jesus Christ. When you place your faith and trust on Jesus Christ alone, your full faith and trust on Jesus Christ alone, when you receive the grace that is his undeserved favor, you are saved, for by grace you are saved. Not of work so that nobody can boast. Because it's a gift of God. And yet people would come to Paul or they'd go to his churches or they would sneak into the church and say, hey, guess what? You're excited about Jesus? We're about ready to take you next level, all right? So it's going to require you to quit eating meat. It's going to require you to get circumcised. Huh? It's going to require you, uh, you know, to celebrate these holidays. I'm like, well, if it's next level, like, okay. And Paul's like, stop it. It's not about you. Those things were a shadow of things former. We now have the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ our Lord. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But yet, this group was coming in and causing all sorts of problems. Today, today in today's church, there are many attacks that are hitting the church within. A lot of people want to add to the gospel or they want to say the gospel doesn't mean anything at all. In fact, I've mentioned this. I want to mention it again. There are two polar opposites. Uh, one is the humanistic uh, direction the church can go. The other is the mystical direction the church can go. For the humanist, let's talk about the humanist direction first. For the humanist direction, these are false teachings that deny the uh, deity of Christ. They make him more human than he is deity. And as a result, uh, they, also get, uh, they also move away from the biblical teachings of morality, uh, sexuality, and even ethics. Just this last week, I, my, jaw, my, my jaw doesn't drop much anymore when I see things on, on the news or I see it online. I'm like, okay, all right, just more crazy, right? Well, I saw something, I'm like, holy cow, that, that's crazy, right? Uh, this, on the national news, made national news, there was a church in Minnesota that read a creed, right? 
Uh, not, 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 you know, the, the creed, uh, uh, the Apostles' Creed, right? Uh, you know, you know not, 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 not some of the more helpful creeds that, that, that taught people doctrine. That's what creeds are. Back, especially when people couldn't read, uh, they would recite creeds to teach people biblical doctrine. Well, there's a new one out there. It's called the Sparkle Creed, right? And so this Sparkle Creed, I'm not even going to read it because it's so blasphemy, all right? But I'll give you the highlights. They're in this church in Minnesota. These people are all chanting it with them. They look, and it's, it, you know, it was an older church with some maybe grandkids. And so, uh, but this, this younger pastor was reciting that they believed they were declaring God to be non-binary. Jesus had two fathers. And at the end, they said, and we believe in the rainbow spirit. I'm like, well, at least you revealed yourself, right? But what spirit is, oh, you, a rainbow spirit. Is that, is that his name? I, this church sat there and they agreed to this blasphemy. My jaw dropped. I'm like, that's blasphemy. Like, I can't believe that. Like, is this where we're really at? Like, why do you even have a church at this point? Just sleep in on Sunday mornings. Why, why, why even do that, right? But just as Paul warned Timothy, we should not be surprised that someone will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. The progressive humanist wing will often deny the scriptures as an errant, authoritative word of God. They often claim scripture was just cultural. And yet Jesus said that not even the smallest letter or point would fail. It'd be upheld till his second coming. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you have a humanist, right? And the other end of the spectrum is the mystical side uh, of, of spirituality. And I, I, I have seen this probably hit uh, evangelicalism just as much as I've seen uh, more of the humanistic side. And uh, the mystical side equates the word of God, that is the Bible, with their experience. Their experiences and whatever thoughts that they have, thoughts that maybe they think are even from God. Uh, they often build fringe doctrines of misunderstandings from the word of God. And they take their puffed up spiritual experiences and they will supersede scripture with those experiences. Uh, whatever we experience, it means words, visions, dreams, or thoughts, they should never take away, add, or contradict the scripture, ever. Now, the internet is filled, social media is filled with teachings of so-called prophets in the name of the Holy Spirit, with so-called hidden teachings through their prophecies that go way beyond scripture and that are leading many, many astray away from the gospel and into these fringe new ideas. By the way, if somebody's telling you a fringe new idea, run, okay, that's how every cult has started, all right? At Kenosha City Church, we believe that God speaks through his, through his word, the Bible authoritatively, and we believe the Holy Spirit guides us and, and leads us and speaks to us. But if somebody is saying something in the name of the Lord, you better make sure it's the Lord. Because if you're saying something in the name of the Lord and it's not of him, you're putting words in the Lord's mouth that is taking the Lord's name in vain, and it very well could be blasphemy, depending on what it is. A false prophecy in the name of the Lord is taking the Lord's name in vain. It breeds confusion, and it defames the gospel. So Satan will use humanistic or even mystical falsehoods to lead people astray from biblical truth and humble Christian living. And Paul calls this, in verse 10, rebellious. These people are rebellious. And notice the behavior of this rebellion. Verse 10, we see here in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, for they are many rebellious people full of, here's the first thing, empty talk. 
They're full of empty talk. As human beings, we say about 10,000 words a day, all right? Uh, scientifically speaking, men speak less than women. Um, so maybe it's more than 10,000 for women, I'm not sure. But the, that's, that's, they did a scientific study. So anyway, I'm not being stereotypical. Yeah. But 10,000 words a day, we'll just say on average for all of humanity. In Proverbs it says, our words can lift up or our words can destroy. That's why every word that comes out of our mouth, even when we're told, uh, even with the spiritual gifts, that they are to lift up and build up the church. But those who are rebellious in the church are dangerous with their words. Their words may feel weighty, but they are empty. Empty talkers, by the way, are often not boring. Don't be like, oh, empty talkers, oh, they're boring, okay? All right, rebellious people are boring. No, they're often captivating. They're saying new things. Uh, they are captivating your imagination of what could be, uh, of things that you've never heard before, and they're very, very persuasive. Let me give you an example. This isn't in the church. This, I was actually doing some evangelism work in Chicago, and I was evangelized by an environmentalist. There was an environmentalist from an organization. They had a huge poster about Alaska, and it caught my attention because I have been to the North Slope of Alaska. The things that they are espousing, I'm like, oh, I've been there. So I listen, I'm like, oh, hey, I, I noticed that you're talking about Alaska. It's like, yes, you need to understand the urgent, urgentness of the problem of what is happening on the North Slope of Alaska. I'm like, oh, do tell. It's like the big pipeline they have up there. It needs to be removed. There are no longer any animals up there, and they can't even migrate from one side of the pipeline to the other. And I just kind of smiled and listened. And, but he was, as he was talking, though, his eyes got big. His voice began to crescendo. Uh, he was leaning in, and I'm like, man, I want to believe this guy. And then finally I said, hey, I got to tell you something. I've been to the North Slope of Alaska three times. H have you ever been to the North Slope of Alaska? He's like, no. Oh, you should go. Because I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of animals up there. The Arctic caribou, you say there's zero. I've literally seen a thousand of them. And every time I would drive, like I, 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 a hole, um, I, I had my, my, um, my muffler fell off, okay? And so... So, like, literally, I'm glad it fell off because I didn't hit a single animal uh, in Alaska. It was like letting them know, oh, here comes a car, right? So as I'm driving on the north slope of Alaska, literally, these herd of Arctic caribou, and they would turn their head one way and their body the other way. It was the weirdest thing. Thousands of them would go across the road. I'm like, yep, saving your life, no muffler, right? So I'm telling this guy, I'm like, I saw thousands of Arctic caribou and this pipeline, which is way up high, they would just go underneath it and they'd go back and forth underneath it. So what you're telling me, I don't think it's true. But then his eyes got really big. He began to lean into his, his presentation again. Oh, but you've got to understand, you probably didn't see something that was, that was normal. And, and, and I'm listening to this guy and I'm literally beginning to believe I didn't see what I didn't see. He was so persuasive. His arguments, they, they seemed so valid and they made me feel moral that I wanted to get rid of everything that he wanted to get rid of. And I began to think like, maybe what I saw for three times that I was up there, I didn't see a single animal. Then I realized, wait a minute, no, no, no. What you're saying isn't true. You need to go up there and visit. You're really, really persuasive. But I actually saw them, I didn't make it up. Well, I wanna tell you, a empty talker Somebody who knows not what they talk about. Somebody who is coming in with an agenda. Truth doesn't matter. Their narrative matters. 
and they will live by their narrative because they've invested in their narrative. And to say that their narrative is wrong would take an ounce of humility, a six-pack of humility for them to say they were wrong. And so people will be doubling down on their falsehood, often for their pride, often for what they want to get out of it. And so, the falsehood that comes into the church, they might not be talking about pipelines in northern Alaska, but they may be peddling different fringe doctrines. They may be denying the deity of Christ. They may be uh, saying, uh, adding new age style things to, uh, to their Christianity. And these false narratives, bad theology, uh, it just will continue to go if you give it platform to grow. And so therefore, Paul is telling Titus, these people are talking empty. And you need to understand the empty is powerful. False narratives, bad theology, even gossip, they grow if you give it an ear and you give it a platform. And that's why uh, false ideas need numbers of people for it to continue to grow. By the way, I want you to know, truth can stand on its own. I hope that if everybody in this room were to deny Christ, I hope you'd be the only one standing and saying, I still believe in him. And I want you to know, and nobody, I, I just said in 10 years, I want to see you all thriving, but just, just walk with me here. If you're the last one in the room standing for Jesus Christ, I want you to know, just because 99 walked, the one can still stand on truth, and it's still true. Truth isn't dictated by the majority. Truth isn't dictated by uh, middle school gangster tactics. Rebellious people often use half-truths, biblical words out of context, and they express it with confidence, and it makes the listener almost compelled to believe what is said, even though it's easily refuted. Why do we like listening to empty talk? If empty talk was so identifiable and it was so repulsive, Paul wouldn't have to tell uh, Titus uh, to worry about these things. So why in our human nature uh, do we like to listen to empty talk? It's because our flesh loves speculation. It loves discovering something that, that nobody else has ever known. Our flesh loves fiction dressed up as truth. Our flesh loves to talk about uh, people, uh, likes to talk about people and, and discover things that nobody knows. It's a, it's a break from the mundane and the reason why we love empty talk is because when we go about things that we know aren't true, when we're gossiping, when we're slandering, when, when, we're, when we are uh, being conspiracy-minded, it is a hit of dopamine. Literally, you can get, be addicted to empty words and empty talk. That's why Jesus said the truth will set you free. So these rebellious people are full of empty talk. We also see these rebellious people are full of deception. That word deception in the original uh, can be translated seduction, all right? If you know somebody that's deceiving, you're like, ah, I don't want anything to do with them, right? Like, it's pretty easy. But what he's talking about here is people come into the church, and they're trying to literally boil you like a frog. You know what I mean by that? You can literally boil a frog in water, and it won't jump out if you just turn up the dial ever so slightly. And that's what Satan tries to do with falsehood. He tries to dial it up. I've heard pastors talk about this even on, on Twitter. It's like, you want people to believe something that they won't believe if you just say it? Just slow drip them. Just kind of slow walk them to the truth. I'm like, oh, the little frog thing, right? <laughs> I, I see it, right? Look, here's the deal. God's word is plain. It's black and white. We're going to preach it. I'm not going to try to slow dial you guys up to that. I think that's deceptive, all right? 
But those that are being seductive, that's their method. These people have crept into the church in Crete. Titus 1.14, do not pay attention to Jewish myths and commands of people who are rejecting the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. We don't know specifically what these Judaizers were preaching, uh, other than that they were mixing the Jewish understanding with the New Testament uh, theology. And it resulted a lot to a lot of people and other churches around the, uh, in the New Testament world uh, to be led astray. But notice Paul calls this French teaching a command of people. They aren't teaching the things of God. In church, we need to be very, very, very careful. Uh, when we are hearing things, maybe online, or we're hearing things from a, from a celebrity preacher, or even, even when you're, we're reading things or we have different thoughts, we need to make sure that they are biblical, they're tied to God's word, and they're not human thoughts. They're not, they're not, they're not commands of men. Uh, when we are a church that's being led by the commands of men, is a church that will very quickly fall into what's called legalism. Legalism is where it's a church full of man-centered rules, Right? We want to be a church of grace. We want to be a church that is tied and obedient uh, to the revealed word of God. But yet these people came in to lead people and enchain them and enslave them through legalism. Peter also warned the church, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, uh, very similarly. This is what he said. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They'll bring uh, in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways. They, the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They'll exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Uh, their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle. And their destruction does not sleep. These are people that are trying to use you to platform their twisted ideas. And what is, what is Paul's response to Titus then? How are we to respond to rebellious people that come in with empty words, that come in to deceive and to seduce you uh, with their false teaching? He says rebellious people are to be silenced. They are to be reproved. They are not to be coddled or given a platform. And heaven forbid if the rebellious people form a faction. Uh, by the way, if rebellious people form factions, and that's typically what they do in churches, uh, you, you, you don't give in. You stand on the word of God uh, no matter what the results are. And the church needs to stand the ground against those who seek harm with the falsehood of their false doctrine. The faction will often not point to the truth, but they'll point to each other. This is what they do. Uh, like, hey, we have this idea, or hey, this is what we're doing, or hey, this is our story. Uh, yeah, 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 but I don't think what you're saying is correct. It seems a little off. I want you to look at all of us, though. Like, there's a lot of us, Right? And so uh, it must be true, right? That's what they do. That is, they point to each other instead of the truth. And they will appoint themselves, they'll self-appoint themselves through their popularity. Because rebellious people divide. These rebellious people divide and they conquer with whatever their agenda requires them to do. Titus 1.11 says it is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Rebellious people will take an opportunity to platform themselves and their ideas. This is how they do it. Okay, this is at Kenosha City Church, by the way. Uh, we, the reason why people are like, man, I just, uh, 
it's sometimes hard for me to become a teacher. Like we had someone come in here years ago and they said, Andy, oh, hi, uh, my name is such and such and I would like to teach your elders. And I said, well, why don't you like join a city group first or something, right? And uh, he left the next week and then he went to another church and he said, I want to teach your elders. And they said, yes. And the church totally blew up, right? Like we're not going to do that, all right? We're, we're not just going to, someone come in here and they're instantly platformed with their agenda. We're not going to do that. That is, that, that would be a misuse of God's church. But yet, what they try to do is they, people will try to come into churches with weak polity, weak leadership. They'll, they'll come into the city groups. They'll come into their Bible studies or whatever they have. They'll get platformed, and within weeks, if not months, uh, they will completely divide the church. Rebellious people not only divide churches, they divide families. And don't be surprised when rebellious people try to justify their divisions by saying they have a more pure understanding of God. It's not more pure, it's pride. Church must stick on the gospel and be unified by moving the gospel forward and growing in the gospel. And we are to take no part with people who divide, self-appoint themselves as leaders, and then recruit in their division or have nothing to do with these self-righteous actions. Because what you believe is what you become. Attacks come from the outside. Attacks come from within. So what are we to stay focused on? And this is our application, number two is a church must be intentional in making disciples. Titus 2, verse 1. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, and sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves, excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. And message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Notice what it says in verse 1 here. It says the church, we are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. That means that in our everyday life, what comes out of our mouth, whether we're teaching a class, having a conversation with somebody, uh, no matter what words come out of our mouth, they need to be consistent with biblical truth. And he breaks it down into uh, to older men, younger men, older women, younger women. Uh, here's, here's what he's saying. Older men, you need to be an example. You need to be an example uh, of self-control. You need to be worthy of respect. You need to be sensible. You need to sound in faith and love. What he's saying to the older men is this, is you need to keep growing in Christ until you die. You don't retire from the faith. I've heard this before. Be like, well, I put my time in the church. I'm like, you have like 30 more years to live. Well, I'm retired now. You know, God in heaven is crying, all right? Like, he's not like, are you serious, right? Because this is the time for you to pass on. This is for you to grow and pass on into younger men. And younger men, you, you need people to pour into you. Peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, uh, discipleship, it has its place, but it's not completely what you need. You need somebody who's been in the faith longer. This is what I love what's happening with our men's ministry. Our men's ministry is launching. It's still brand new. It's still forming. It's still making. But I want you to know, in most churches, to get a men's ministry that is not just about fishing, talking about sports, and saying uh, the most surfacey level things about Jesus, it literally takes the resurrection of the dead. Well, I want you to know this right now. We have a room full of men that are hungry to go to the next level with Jesus. Amen? 
Like, that's an amazing thing that's happening here at Kenosha City Church. I know Satan hates it, so we need to be praying for the men of this church that God continues to pour out what he's pouring out into the men. Why? Because older men, this is our vision, older men are going to be mentoring younger men, not to become like them, but to become like Jesus. People are like, well, what about women's ministry? Well, here's the deal. We intentionally created men's ministry first because we believe and we've seen it around the country and we think it's biblical that when men are leading the way first, women are able to grow and thrive even better. And I'm gonna tell you that a men's ministry growing right now is setting the stage and foundation for a beautiful, dynamic women's ministry that is coming to be, you know, to be continued. All right, keep your ears out sooner than later, right? It's coming, but here's the deal. Women's ministry. Men's ministry, fishing, surfacy, talk about sports, need a resurrection of the dead if they're really gonna get deep, right? Women, they sneeze and ministry happens, right? Like, why you? Well, whoa, why is there 30 women here? Why do we have, you know, why do we have our study books out right now, right? <laughs> right? But women, don't you want a dynamic ministry too? Where you can grow in the Lord and raise up the next generation of women? Well, notice, this is what he says. He says, in the same way older women are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers, not slaves of excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. He's saying, women, we want you to be humble with the word. We want you to think biblically and pass that on. Because I don't know about you, but when you're looking at social media, women, often you see women that are, that are getting together, and they're winos, and they're slandering, right? It might be, come on, can I be real here, right? Women getting together, they got their wine out because they're winos, and they're talking about other people, right? And in some cases, that's women's ministry, all right? I asked pastors, they're gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble, sorry. I asked some pastors, I said, what is the most difficult thing in ministry right now? And they said two things. Number one, we need to get our men off their seats and into the ministry. Number two, our women need to stop gossiping and slandering about people. Paul knew that. Let's get real. Come on. Paul knew that. He knew that when women get together, they slander. He knew that. Well, guess what? Well, what about men? Well, if you can get the men together, maybe they would slander too. I don't know. But his point is this. We're different. We get together and we build each other up in the truth of the gospel. And when we do, women... I want you to raise up younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled. That means not drunk on wine, right? Uh, to be pure, to be workers at home, to be kind, to be submissive to their husbands. About a month ago, Alice and I had a Q&A up here. We'll show you this in a little bit. We'll, we'll play it again. But there was a snippet that our social media team put online. And it was about how Allison talked about basically what Paul was talking about right here. In fact, he was just reading scripture for most of it. It has been seen now 630,000 times. We get messages every day, some good, some really bad, some cussing her out and telling her four-letter words and how awful she is, like she's reading scripture. But anyway, my point is, the culture doesn't like this. But that doesn't matter. Because Jesus Christ built his church to be a bright, shining light so that what we believe, right, is going to be the way that we behave. And the way we behave is going to be different because we are people that are countercultural, right? So we're going to be men and women that raise up younger men and women to be faithful followers, fully devoted 
followers of Jesus Christ who eyes are going to be on the gospel that seek to see the lost saved and grow in the character of Jesus Christ. That is the church. That is what Jesus told us to do. And that's what we must do. If we aren't going to do it, let's all sleep in next week and not have church. But we're going to keep focus on it, so you better show up next week. Don't sleep in, all right? So church, we got a huge task in front of us. We got a huge task in front of us. Last point, and we're going to land. His church must be intentional going with the gospel. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and live in a sensible, righteous, godly way in this present age. We are to bring the gospel to people, and we are to grow together in the gospel church. We are the church, and I cannot wait to see what God is going to do through you. There's a term that says, the best is yet to come. Listen, I could say that, and you could have the worst six months coming before that. So I'm going to say that term kind of falls flat because I can't predict the future, but what I can predict is what God has promised. And God said that when we place our faith and trust in him, when we follow him, our, our life is not tied to our circumstances. Our life isn't tied to this culture. It's tied to eternity. So indeed, the best is yet to come because the yet is the kingdom. And I want you to know the kingdom is going to set all things straight. And we are agents of that kingdom. Let's do it, church. Let's be that kingdom. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would set us on the solid rock, our eyes set on you, and that we would go. That we would go. Lord, help us identify any rebellious streak in our heart. Help us identify uh, anybody we hang with and we're just engaging in toxic words. Help us, God, make our words build up. Help us be people that what we actually believe, we will, our behavior will reflect that. Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody that's here today that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray that today they will get right with you. In fact, as we continue to pray, I want you to know if there's anybody here, today you can make certain that you're going to heaven. Today you can make certain that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are uncertain you're going to heaven, or you know you're not going to heaven because you know you don't have this personal relationship with Jesus, let me explain to you how you can be made right with God right now. This is how you do it. First off, you acknowledge that God made you. He made you have a relationship with him. You're not a mistake. You acknowledge, though, that you're far from God. It's called because you've sinned. Sin is doing anything that's against God's will for your life. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. It's acknowledging that you can't do anything to take away your sin. No good works, no religion, no nothing. It's acknowledging that you need Jesus to save you. This is how Jesus saved you. He came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. His body broken, his blood shed. He did it, yes, to die on a cross, but also to take on the wrath of God, the wrath of God that was meant for you because of your sin. He stood in your place. Because he was a perfect sacrifice, three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that anybody who confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God rose him from the dead will be saved. For all those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you just cry out to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Lord God, I just pray for anybody in this room today too that is struggling with just different things in their heart and their life. I pray the Holy Spirit would come right now and fill them. Fill them afresh. Give them the strength. Give them the power to be that person that you're calling them to be and that is more like you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.